Good, every, good morning, everyone. We want to welcome you to the worship services of Grace Church at Franklin here in Franklin, Tennessee. And we are located uh, on Arno Road, just out of Franklin, about a mile off of I-65 South, exit 65. We're delighted to have all of you who are here with us in the auditorium. We expect more this morning, and we want to welcome all who are tuning in by the internet. Uh, we are on YouTube, Ustream, and Sermon Audio Video. We appreciate all of you who write to us. We thank you for that. Uh, I have a, a brief comment here from a dear sister in Placerville, California. Gloria Ward, and she said, Bless you and Grace Church at Franklin. Thank you all for the truth in and to God's word. Bless you all in his love. That's an encouraging, encouraging uh, note from our sister in California. Uh, and uh, Sister Ward is, as we say in the South, she is not a spring chicken. She's 90-something uh, years old, and when you talk to her on the phone, you think you're talking to somebody that's uh, 25 or 30 years old. Amazing woman, a great believer, strong believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you have a hymnal in front of you, this should be up on the board, but we always tell you about the hymnal. It's page 266. Let's stand together. And sing, fade, fade each earthly joy. Fade, fade each earthly joy. Jesus is mine. Break every tender tie. Jesus is mine. Dark is the Earth has no resting place Jesus alone can bless Jesus is mine Tempt not my soul away Jesus is mine Here would I ever stay Mine lost in this dawning bright, Jesus is mine. All that my soul has tried left but a dismal void, Jesus has satisfied, Jesus is mine. is mine welcome eternity 
and blessed Welcome sweet saints of rest Welcome my Savior's breast Jesus is mine You may be seated Joshua Waltz, who normally leads our singing at this time of the service, is home ill. I'd like to ask you to all be praying for Josh. Uh, he says he's better. He contracted something here earlier in the week, and uh, he's had some fever and some other things. And, of course, that uh, a little bit more serious because they have three little ones there, three small kids in their, in their home. So let's pray for Joshua, and for his wife, Reagan, and for uh, the, three, the three children. This is the first Sunday of the month, and on the first Sunday of the month here in this congregation, we have a couple of events. One is we observe the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of each month, and we're going to do that in just a moment. Second thing is we have food to eat. We have fellowship and food and fun after the service. And that's, uh, you just go out this way, go down the hall, and right over here in our fellowship hall is always more than enough food for everybody. You say, well, I didn't bring any. That's okay. You can bring some next time. There's plenty of it. Uh, always have good cooking and good food and desserts and everything else, and we'll be delighted to have you after the service is over today. In the book of Romans, chapter 5, it is written, We are justified by faith, and therefore we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he tells us in verse 6, When we were yet without strength, we had no strength to save ourselves. We had no strength to recommend ourselves to God. We were without strength. We were dead spiritually, according to Ephesians 2.1. In due time, Christ died for all the good people. Is that what your translation says? No, it says, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And that means for those without God. It doesn't necessarily mean an immoral person. It includes that. But it, all, it means people who were without God. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Perhaps for a good man, some would dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Being a sinner doesn't just mean that you fall short. It does mean that. There are a couple of Greek terms used in the New Testament. One is hamartia, another is anomia. And hamartia means to fall short or to miss the mark. No matter how hard you try, you can't hit the bullseye every time. And anomia means a deliberate, willful, continual disobedience. So when we put those two together, we find out that we are sinners who fall short of the glory of God. And at least at one time, though we may not have consciously done so, we were resisting the Lord and all that he's revealed to us that was right and fit and righteous in his eyes. And so we therefore conclude from the scripture that we are sinners. That means that we are unrighteous. It means we don't have a righteousness of our own to recommend us to God. And so the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, obeyed the law, 
in order to earn a righteousness he didn't need, and he gives that righteousness to sinners who come to him as sinners, believing on him as their Savior and as their Lord. So he says, God commended his love toward us, and while we were sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he said, much more being justified. Justified is a legal term. So we were condemned, and now we stand before God justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He goes on to say that we joy in God by whom we have now received the atonement. The word atonement is not really literally found in the New Testament. It is the word reconciliation. Our English word atonement made up of two words and a suffix, you know, at, A-T, one, O-N-E, and a suffix meant, at, one meant. And it means that there are two parties that were separated and Jesus Christ came into the world to bring those two parties together, and he reconciles us. If you give me a quarter and I give you two dimes and a nickel, we're reconciled. And so we're reconciled to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and death passed upon all men, for all have sinned, Romans 5, 12. That is, sin came into the world through the first man, Adam, but then we have our own portion and part in that we have also sinned. So the Lord Jesus Christ is our offering. He is our substitutionary sacrifice. He's not only our priest, but he went into the holy place in heaven and he offered himself, not the blood of bulls and goats, but he offered his own blood. And then he did something that no priest of Israel was ever able to do. He sat down in the holy place, in the tabernacle, in the temple, there was no chair, no seat for the priest to sit down. That indicates that his work was never finished. He can never finish it. He can never complete it. He can never rest because he had to come back in again at the same time next year and offer a sacrifice for sins. But the Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture says, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. That means it's complete. That means it's finished. That means there's nothing for us to do but rely upon, trust in, come to, confess Jesus as our Messiah, as our Lord, and as our Savior. Now what we're going to do here in just a moment is partake of the, what we call the Lord's Supper. Uh, when the coronavirus came in in 2020, we started doing the Lord's Supper a little differently and what we're going to do in a moment we're going to let you rise up and you can come by and be sure to notice that uh, the the wine is in one container and the bread is in another you do not have to participate we encourage you to participate but if you choose not to that is your choice but if you come by pick up some wine pick up the bread go back to your place and after everyone 
has served and has been served, then we will all partake together and I will lead you. First of all, let's pray. Our Father, we call upon you in the matchless name of our Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. He himself said to his disciples, no man takes my life from me. I give it. I have been given this privilege and this honor by my Father. And those who come to me, I give unto them eternal life. And no man can take them out of my hand. And my Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man can take them out of my Father's hand. We rejoice today not only in our salvation. We rejoice in the security of our salvation. We rejoice in the fact that it is once for all completed. It is done. It is finished. Father, today as we turn our thoughts again toward the death of our Lord, we pray that you'll sanctify this supper unto our minds and hearts that we might again be filled with joy, with, with the happiness that we have, knowing that we have a Savior and we have one who sits on the throne of all power at this very hour there to make intercession for all who come unto God by him. We pray, therefore, that you'll help us to remember that it is he himself who is our salvation. It is not the, these symbols that represent him, the wine representing his blood and the bread representing his body, but that we rejoice in him of whom these are but symbols, types, shadows, and figures. We thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you that we are able to rejoice in the atonement, in the reconciliation effected by our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you and bless you and praise you and give you glory in the name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our Messiah, the Christ. Amen. All right, would you stand together? And while you're coming, I'm going to be reading some scripture, and uh, we'll... the group over here will be praying and uh, Brother Foster and Brother Turner will start us off this morning. Okay. As by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification. For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, many shall be made righteous. The law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Just as sin reigned unto death, grace has reigned through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do in that it was weak because of our flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, 
who do not walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. They that are after the flesh mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the Spirit mind the things of the Spirit. You have not received the spirit of bondage, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And if we are children of God, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God and we are joint heirs with Christ. If it is that we suffer with him, we also shall be glorified together with him. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. What a man sees, why would he hope for it? But if we hope for that which we do not see, then we will with patience wait for it. While waiting, the Spirit helps our infirmities. We don't even know what we should pray for as we ought to know. But the Spirit itself makes intercession for us, intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take and eat, this is my body. Which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. We thank the Lord that he took a body in order that he might suffer for us and for our sins. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. We thank the Lord that having received a body, he was willing to lay it down for our sakes. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he come. Let us pray. Our Father, we again bow before you and call upon you in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, and our Savior, asking you to sanctify unto us what we have just done, and that is to remember our Lord in his sufferings in his body on the cursed tree. For he that is hung upon the tree is cursed of God, we read in the Scriptures. 
Oh, Lord, we pray that you'll never allow us to get away from thinking about the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf, that we should use that to shun sin, to run from sin, to flee from sin, to do all we can to live in a way that is right and pleasing in your sight. But we confess we cannot be saved by what we do. We're saved by what you have done through our Savior and your Son. Nevertheless, because his Spirit is in us, teach us, O Lord, how to live in this world that is pleasing unto thee. I pray your blessings upon all that we do today and that it might redound for the honor and glory of him with whom we have to do, even our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, if after the services, you can place these right in front of you in the pew. There's some little places there. But if after the services you want to bring them up and put them in the plate, certainly that would be appreciated. We'll be glad for you to, to do that, and that will just help us in getting these things together. So again, let me say that Brother Joshua, who would be leading the singing, uh, is home ill. He is doing better. He is recovering. But we want to pray for him, and we want to remember he and Reagan and their children uh, there until they are completely well and return again to us. We're going to worship the Lord now by singing a hymn. It's page 263. If you have a hymnal there in front of you, it will also be up on the board. So would you stand together with me? 263. The Lord's our rock, in Him we hide. A shelter in the time of the storm. Secure whatever will be tied. A shelter in the time of the storm. By day, defense by night, a shelter in the time of the storm. No fears, alarm, no foes of fight, a shelter in the time of the storm. Oh, Shelter in the time of the storm We'll never leave our safe retreat A shelter in the time of the storm Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary Oh, Jesus is a rock in a wind. 
I'll ask you to remain standing for a moment, and if you have a Bible, you can open it to the book of Genesis, chapter 39, and we're going to have the 26th study under the general theme of the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph from Genesis chapter 39. And the subject today will be, But the Lord was with Joseph. Before we have our study, we're going to ask the Lord's blessings upon our hearing and upon giving me the ability to teach. Father, I stretch my hand to thee, no other help I know. If I withdraw myself from thee, Whither shall I go? Whither shall I go? All right, if you'll open your Bibles to Genesis chapter thirty nine. Today, study number 26, and the subject, but the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. I'm going to ask Brother Todd or whoever is going to make the announcements to do that at the end of this study. Genesis chapter 39, beginning in verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. Whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word, and let God's people say, Praise the Lord. And you may be seated. What an interesting study this has been, the story of Joseph. Probably the best of all the types in the Old Testament, Joseph is probably the very best type. He's probably superior to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to even David. He is a great type or picture of the Messiah, of the Lord Jesus Christ. But for our study today, the first thing that I'd like to remind you of is this. Joseph is the godliest man in Egypt. The godliest man in Egypt. He's God's man. 
He is a son of God through faith. And this means, number two, he is a chosen vessel to fulfill the promises of God to Abraham. It's through Joseph that the promise to Abraham regarding the Savior of the world will be carried forward. We read in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He did not say seeds, which means many, but one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. What he tells us in Galatians 3.16 is that God made his promises to Abraham and to his descendant. And the scripture, he points out, does not use the plural descendants with an S, perhaps referring to Israel in general, meaning many people, but the singular descendant, which he says, points to the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, all of the promises made to Abraham are Christocentric. They're centered in Christ. They're Christotelic. They find their fulfillment in Christ. They're Christotestic. They testify of Christ and of the Messiah. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, the promises made to Abraham are fulfilled. Here's the next point that I want to bring up to you. Through Joseph, the providence of God will be justified. Now, all of us, you say, what do you mean by providence? Well, it comes from the Latin and it means pro-video. It means generally to see things ahead of time. But when it comes to the Scripture, it not only means to see things ahead of time, but it means to arrange things ahead of time. In other words, God Himself made the universe, and He is in charge of it. And He does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Not only does God have his way in heaven, he's going to have his way here in the earth. And he goes on to say, and none can stay his hand. Nobody can stop God or say unto him, what are you doing? We are not to question him. We are to learn to trust him. So when I say that God's providence through Joseph will be justified, I mean something like this. All of us, every single one of us, even the best person here, are complainers from time to time. We complain. Some of you complain this morning because you got caught by a traffic light. Some of you complain because somebody pulled over in front of you. <laughs> somebody complained because maybe you're saying, what in the world is he doing going 45 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour out on this interstate here? We are complainers, we, we, we murmur, we complain. Well, the providence of God dictated such that if Joseph were a murmurer, he's got a lot to murmur and complain about. What has happened to him? Well, he was sold by his brothers who hated him, and they sold him to some Ishmaelites who were headed to Egypt. And then the Ishmaelites put him on the slave market, and they sold him again to a fellow named Potiphar. And then while he was working for Potiphar, after two or three years, he was accused of rape 
by Potiphar's wife when it was actually the opposite situation. She had been coming on to Joseph for years, and he had been resisting her advances. And when he ran out of the house, she grabbed his coat and started screaming rape. And so he is now in prison. And he's in prison unjustly, not only because of what he didn't do, but he's in prison because he's in prison only by the testimony of one person, and her testimony was a lie. And yet Joseph is the godliest man in Egypt, and he's got every reason in the world to complain and to murmur, but he doesn't do that, as we're going to see. But not only is he the godliest man in Egypt, he's probably in more trouble than any man in Egypt. And this brings up the next point. It is through Joseph that faith will be tested and shown to triumph. In the Bible, saving faith is spoken of as the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said this, The life I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. No Israelite has ever kept the holy law of God. Not Abraham, not Moses, even Moses, before he could get down off the mountain good, the people were partying, he threw the two stones down and broke them. He himself was a lawbreaker. Moses was a murderer. Did you know that? He killed an Egyptian. He saw an Egyptian uh, beating a Hebrew. And when he looked around, nobody's looking, he went over and he murdered the Egyptian. Mo Moses was a sinner. All these people that, uh, that are in the Scriptures are sinners. But the faith that we have that is saving faith is the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Joseph has a faith that looks to the Messiah, that looks forward because he's looking to the Word of God. I explained that to you in an earlier scripture. We have the written Word of God, and then we have the incarnation or coming into the flesh of the Word of God, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Gospel of John tells us. It begins this way. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made, and the Word that was with God, and it was God, became flesh. And we, we, we observed Him. We looked at Him. We saw the glory of God in this person of Jesus of Nazareth. So, we ask of Joseph, what is going on in your life? You must be doing something wrong. Your brothers hated you, they sold you. And then the Ishmaelites even sold you to Potiphar. And now his wife has made a play for you, and you find yourself in prison. So we go back when he was 17 years old, had not the Lord spoken to Joseph and promised him great glory and great advancement and great exaltation? Yes, he did. And had not the Lord told, them, told him that even his brothers will bow down to him? Yes, he did. Well, why all this trouble? Why all this trial? Well, there are definite reasons when God does something. Here's the first reason. Number one, to teach us. 
we're going to learn some things about looking at Joseph and what he went through and what he had to experience. We're going to learn some things about trusting the Lord. So it's for, to teach us. Number two is to be an example of a true believer to others who believe. Now, if you have your Bible, you can turn to this passage. I'll tell you where it is. I'm going to read it. It may or may not be up on the board, but it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in the New Testament. And I'll wait for you to find that. If you're not familiar with the Bible, just look in the front of the Bible. and You've got a table of contents, and you can find out what page it's on. But it's in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And the writer of this epistle is uh, Paul, and he's writing to a church in Corinth, and he wrote two letters to them, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So when he gets to this chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he's explaining how all of these people in the Old Testament were examples, they were types, they were what the Bible calls shadows. You know, if you see the shadow of a person, you know that there's a person reflecting the shadow. <laughs> and so what the New Testament tells us is that these Old Testament characters and these Old Testament rituals and these Old Testament ceremonies were all types and shadows, but the reality is Christ himself. For example, the high priest is a type or shadow of our high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ. The lambs that they offered to God uh, is a type of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of these things are types. Everything in the temple was a type. Every part of the temple was a type, from the priest to the offering to the holy place, to the holy of holies, to the way it was built, to the materials it was built out of, all of these things point to the Lord Jesus Christ, point to the Messiah. So he's explaining this. And for example, in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, he says, verse 4, remember when Israel became very thirsty? And uh, the Lord said to Moses, go over to this rock and tap it. And he made water come out of the rock. Well, here's what he says in verse 4. They did all drink the same spiritual drink, and they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. That is, that rock shadowed Christ, portrayed Christ, was a picture of Christ, who is called what? The water of life. He's the water of life. He's the water that comes from God. He said, I give unto you this living water, which if a man drink, he'll never thirst. I'm the bread from heaven. Your father did eat bread that fell from heaven called manna, and they all died. But if a man eats the bread that I give him, he'll have eternal life, referring, of course, to himself. So we get down to verse 6 now. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, get down to verse 6. Now, these things were our examples. He's, he's warning them about being in disobedience. These things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted, or be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Verse 8. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day 23,000. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them tempted 
and were destroyed of the serpents. You remember when the Lord was displeased with Israel and he sent serpents among them? And Moses went to God and said, what in the world, what can I do? And the Lord said, make a serpent of brass, put it on a pole, hold it up, and it shall come to pass that every person who looks to that will be healed. And that serpent is a picture of Christ being lifted up on the cross. That's where our salvation is. Okay? So he says, verse uh, 10, Neither murmur you, as some of them were murmured, and they were destroyed of the destroyer. Now, verse 11, all these things happen to them for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So why is all of this happening to Joseph? Number one, to teach us. To teach us. Number two, the examples of what a true believer is and how a true believer should conduct himself or herself when you're going through trial. Now, this morning when I was coming out here to the, to the church building and getting ready for worship, I happened to hear a man who's teaching I like from time to time. His name is Erwin Lutzer, and Erwin Lutzer is the uh, pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago, and Erwin Lutzer began his remarks this morning by saying, hey, I have found an article in Newsweek, Wonder of Wonders, that I actually rejoice in. And what is the, what is the article in Newsweek? Newsweek points out that Christians all over the world are being murdered and they're being murdered not because they're not keeping Sharia law, Islamic law, but they are being murdered simply because they are Christians. And the news media is staying completely silent about it. Not anything. And so Newsweek has probably figured out, you know what? It's going to be coming here to the U.S. of A. And when it gets here, if we wipe out the Christians... The Jews are going to be next, and everybody else is going to be in line. And so these kinds of things teach us to prepare for a time of trial and suffering. All of us in this nation are spoiled rotten. Americans, we are spoiled rotten. I mean, I thought the other day we got home from this trip, and when we got here, down there, it was in the, uh, when we left, the day that we left, it was a nice sunshiny day, and it was in the 70s. And when we got up here one day, one reason we came back a day early is because we saw on the news that a cold front was going to be coming in, it's going to get down into the 20s, and the highways were going to be slick, and we didn't want to be negotiating any highways with that going on, so we drove 800 and something miles in one day to get back home. And when we got back here, and I got in the bed, I said, thank you, Lord, for a bed. <laughs> thank you that I've got a roof over my head. And thank you, Lord, that I'm not dead in trespasses and sins. That's what I said when I got in my bed that night. I'll tell you, we just go in and turn on the spigot. There's water. There are people in the world who don't have water. There are people who are dying because of the things in the water that they have, that they drink. They don't have adequate food. They don't have adequate shelter. They don't have housing. We have all of that. What are we going to do if this kind of thing comes to this nation? 
And I've been telling you for a long time that it's coming. And it's going to come. It may not come, I may not live to see it, but many of you will. And I'm going to tell you something. If you find yourself in that situation, you try to remember Joseph. Joseph, hated by his own brothers. Joseph, sold as a slave to the cheapest bidder. Joseph, uh, uh, put in prison. Why was he put in prison? He was put in prison for doing right, for doing the right thing. He was put in prison. What are we going to do? Well, let's see if we can learn a little bit from Joseph. In Joseph, and in all genuine believers of Scripture, we learn great lessons. Number one, I think we learn that faith will believe the Lord regardless. Faith will believe the Lord regardless. I can believe the Lord when I've got money in the bank and the sun's shining and I have a warm bed, but I'm going to believe the Lord if I don't have a warm bed and I'm thrown out of my house or I'm put in jail, I'm still going to believe the Lord. Has he promised and shall he not do it? Has he spoken it and shall it not come to pass? Listen to Isaiah, Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. True faith will believe the Lord regardless. That's what Joseph did. Number two. True faith will trust the Lord, sometimes even in impossible circumstances. When Joseph was 17 years old, he was thrown in that pit by his brothers who hated him and were jealous of him. They were envious of him. <clears throat> and when he, Joseph was down in that pit, put there by his brothers, at only 17 years of, old, of age, he was trusting the Lord. When he was brought into a strange land, the land of Egypt, with a strange language, a language he did not understand, and sold on the slave market, he was trusting the Lord. When he was made the household boy of Potiphar, the sun worshiper, an Egyptian, he was trusting the Lord. When he was approached by Potiphar's wife to engage in an illicit affair, he was trusting the Lord. This is what he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Wow. Joseph puts us to shame, doesn't he? True faith can trust the Lord even in impossible situations and circumstances. Number three, faith will persevere. Although we can hardly find a fault in Joseph, doubtless we can find many faults in our own lives. I would imagine that all of us have failed to trust the Lord in every circumstance, as we should. So I'm asking, is there a word for us? Well, yes. And the first thing I would remind you of is that most all the saints of God fail at times. Peter is an example. The Lord said, all of you are going to betray me before the cock crows. Peter said, not me. They might run, but I, I ain't running. I'm not running. I'll be here. Though I should die, I will not. Did he deny the Lord? He, listen, he not only denied the Lord, he swore with an oath that he didn't know him. He used profanity. He said, you blankety-blank guy, I told you in the blankety-blank that I don't know. 
the blankety black man. That's what he said. And when the cock crowed, Peter went out and he wept bitterly when he was smitten by his conscience and by the Spirit of God, and he ended up dying a martyr's death. I tell you somebody else, Elijah was a great prophet, but he, you know what? He, he went out and faced 450 prophets of Baal, false, false prophets of Baal, and uh, he won the contest. They had a little contest, and he won it, and he ordered all the 450 prophets to be murdered, to be killed right there on the spot, and they were. And then word got up to the king Ahab's wife. His wife was named Jezebel. <laughs> and Jezebel sent a note to Elijah, and she said, as sure as there's a God in heaven, if your head is on your shoulders by this time tomorrow, and Elijah started running. <laughs> and he ran and he ran and he ran and he hid out in a cave. And the Lord had to take birds and send birds to feed him. And a small voice came to Elijah. There was a storm and there were other things and it said, but God was not in that. And then a still small voice and the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? So we can all relate to that, can't we? Because we've all, even David, a man after God's own heart, failed. He took the wife of another man. He took Bathsheba, who is the mother of Solomon, from another man named Uriah, Uriah the Hittite, one of David's main men. And he not only took his wife, but he got, he got Uriah to come home, tried to get him drunk, tried to get him to go home so he would sleep with his wife, and the man was ashamed to do it, and he wouldn't do it. And so David had him killed in battle. He had him killed in battle. You see, David failed there, didn't he? Elijah failed, didn't he? Peter failed. We can relate to that because we fail. We fail. But listen, our Lord Jesus Christ once answered Peter's question. He said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? And he thought he was being really liberal, and he said, seven times? And uh, the Lord said, no, I say unto thee, not seven times, but seventy times seven. Now, that doesn't mean 490. <laughs> it means ad infinitum. It means you forgive your brother as long as your brother or your sister needs forgiveness. Now, will not our Lord forgive us if we petition him? Yes, he will. So forgiveness is available for the children of God, available through the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the other thing. Faith will always come back to Christ asking him for forgiveness, asking him for strength, and asking him for wisdom. If Christ is in us by his Spirit, he will hold us up, and he will hold us out. It is Christ who perseveres in us. Now you'll notice concerning Joseph, you want to go back to Genesis chapter 39, you don't have to, that the key to all of this, the key to the strength of Joseph, the key to the wisdom of Joseph, the key to the faith of Joseph is right here in Genesis chapter 
39 and in verse 21 where it says, But the Lord was with Joseph. That's the key. That's the foundation. The Lord was with Joseph. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you first of all what it doesn't mean. <laughs> it doesn't mean that Joseph was lucky. That's a big overused word in the United States. Boy, he sure was lucky, wasn't he? I hear people on television, you know, a storm comes through and destroys every house and neighborhood and their house is standing. They said, boy, I was lucky. Now, you weren't lucky. You were providentially preserved by the sovereign will of God. That's what happened to you. But they're not going to say that on television. They're going to say, I'm going to give God the glory. He's the one that spared me. No, he was lucky. Joseph wasn't lucky. Joseph wasn't fortunate. And it wasn't because Joseph was smart, although he was smart. He was very intelligent. But Joseph was being guided by the Lord. I hope you can accept this. Nothing befell him by accident. When you're God's child, everything that comes into your life or is taken out of your life has a reason of wisdom and love behind it. I won't be able to open up all of this this morning, but I hope to in future studies. Now, you don't have to turn to this passage, but I'm going to make a couple of comments from the New Testament book of the Gospel of John, chapter 11. If you happen to have a Bible, if you're not, you can just listen to me if you don't want to turn over. The Lord was with Joseph does not mean that he was lucky, that he was fortunate, or that he was intelligent, but he was being guided by the Lord. Nothing befell him by accident. So what about, you say, well, what about the temptations that he had? What about the trials that he underwent? Well, I can give you several things to think about there. Number one, they were permitted to show that his faith was genuine. They were permitted to show his faith was genuine. Sometimes when trials come your way, it's going to show what you, it's going to show you what you really believe. And who you really are. Everybody can whistle when the sun's shining and money is in the bank and the stock market's up. What about when everything's going out? What about when everything's coming down? What about when you lose everything? Faith is genuine, and Joseph's faith is genuine. Number two, it was permitted to leave his accusers without an excuse. All of those who accused Joseph and lied about him or without excuse, because he was preserved and he prospered by the good grace and providence of God. Number three, as I've already shown you a little bit of, it was permitted for our sakes, for our learning. We learn who God is and who we are and how to trust him by studying the lives of people like Joseph in the scripture. And then let me tell you this from John's Gospel, chapter 11. This is the chapter about the sickness of Lazarus. Lazarus was the brother of Martha and Mary. And this says that, that Lazarus was sick, and they immediately sent to Jesus in verse 3, and they said, Behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, the first thing I'd point out to you is that the message wasn't, Behold, he who loves you is sick. 
No, it's behold, he whom you love is sick. That's what it says. You see, I love the Lord, but it's not my love that makes a difference. It's his love for me that makes a difference. Okay? So it said, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Now, when Jesus heard that, notice what he says in verse 4. He says, this sickness is not unto death. Now, watch this now. But for the glory of God. This sickness is for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, you notice he says this sickness is for the glory of God. So God permitted Lazarus to get sick, to get a coronavirus, and he got, he, he got the coronavirus for the glory of God. Now, smoke on that a little while. Put that in your pipe, as we used to say, and smoke on that for just a little while. Ordained for the glory of God. He wasn't sick because he committed some kind of sin. He wasn't sick because of something he did and didn't do. He was sick for the glory of God. Number two, he was Sick in order for faith to lay hold of the truth of Christ. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. Jesus said, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that you may believe. Now what happened between verse 4 and verse 15? Here's what happened. When they told Jesus that Lazarus was sick, guess what Jesus did? He called a taxi and he said, we got to get over there real fast. No, the Bible says he stayed where he was for three days. And he stayed where he was for three days on purpose. He stayed there where he was for three days that Lazarus might die. Did you know that in the Bible no one ever died in the presence of Jesus Christ? If Christ had gotten there before he died, he would have healed him. He would have made him well again. But he stayed where he was. It says in verse 6, When he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he stayed for two days still in the same place where he was. He was only about two miles from Lazarus. But he stayed where he was. And, of course, you probably know the story. I don't assume everybody does. But when Jesus was getting there, first Martha runs out. And she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And uh, then Mary went out, and she said the same thing. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus said, uh, Martha says to Jesus, verse 21, if you'd like to, uh, verse 20, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, verse 21, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then she adds this, but I know that even now, <clears throat> whatsoever you will ask of God, he will give it to you. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, oh, I know he'll rise again in the last day of the resurrection. <laughs> and Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Read it, it's right there. I am the resurrection and the life. 
He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die, though he's dead. I'll resurrect him again. <laughs> he, said, he said, I am the resurrection. Without me, there would be no such thing as a resurrection of the body. And when he got there, he did resurrect him, didn't he? And why did he delay going there? Well, I just read it for you, verse 15. He said to them, I'm glad. He said to the disciples, this is a little, a little humorous, verse 11, verse 11, he said, Our friend Lazarus is sleeping, but I may, I'm going that I may awake him out of his sleep. And his disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he's doing well. That's good. Take three aspirin and get a lot of rest. That's what the doctor says. And then Jesus said, verse 13, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking rest in sleep. So then Jesus said plainly unto them in verse 14, Lazarus is dead. But then he said, I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. I'm glad I wasn't there. To the intent, this is why I'm glad that I wasn't there. That you and everybody who will be there will believe that I am the Messiah, that I am the Savior, that I am the promised Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so all of this that's happening to Joseph is designed to teach us, to teach us about the frailty of man. We all brag about what we would do until we're faced with reality. All of us are armchair, armchair quarterbacks. We watch those football games. Somebody throws a pass, and it's right in his arm, and he bobbles it, and he drops it. And we say, Dad, grief, what an idiot. I am, I am the worst armchair quarterback in this building. If you don't believe me, ask people that have watched football games with me. But you know what? I saw a guy... About two weeks ago, they brought him out. He was an armchair quarterback. He was from the crowd. <clears throat> he, they brought him out to try to kick a field goal. It was only about a 15-yard field goal. You know what happened? When he was running up to the ball, he stumbled and fell, and the ball rolled about three feet, and he fell on his back. I'll bet you that he'll be a little kinder next time somebody misses a field goal. We're all armchair quarterbacks. We all talk about what we would do until we're faced with it. So this shows us the frailty of man. When we look at Joseph, we see the frailty of man. Secondly, we see the sovereignty of God. We see that God is in control of this situation. Listen to this passage. Isaiah 45, 7. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. I know there's a secondary meaning to that, but it's the, the idea there is God's in charge. And the third reason that I think the Lord allowed all of these trials to come upon Joseph is that it forces us to think of our own mortality. It forces us to think about the shortness of life, the certainty of death, and the length of eternity. And when the Lord is with a person, it says the Lord was with Joseph, when the Lord is with a person, everything will work for their eternal good and for the glory of God. And that's why the scripture admonishes us to be patient, to wait on the Lord. He doesn't move when we say move. 
we have to wait on him. When Paul, the apostle, was in prison, he said, I'm bound, but the word of God is not. He said, I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. 2 Timothy 2, verses 9 and 10. And Paul wrote several letters that we call epistles to the churches from prison. John Bunyan was in prison for 14 years. When they put him in prison, what did they put him in prison for? Preaching. What was he doing? He's preaching without a license. At that time, you had to have a license from the official church. That's why when they founded this nation, they said, you, your Congress should make no law regarding the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. We don't have a state church in America. So Paul and John Bunyan were brothers. They just made the most of prison. John Bunyan wrote all of his books while he was in prison for almost 14 years. When he was put in prison, as I say, he left a blind daughter and just trusted the Lord to take care of her. Joseph was put in prison. Why? He was put in prison at this time, as we're going to see, on divine purpose, by divine purpose, because he's got to meet two guys. He's got to meet a baker and a cupbearer, and they're going to prove to be instruments of his relief and his exaltation. Now, let me say this to those of you who have never trusted Christ. I want you to listen to me for a moment. This is what I believe. All of the trouble that's in your life or that has come your way in your life is meant for a blessing. It's meant to get your attention. It's meant to make you take stock of yourself. It's meant to make you consider that one day you're going to be leaving here. It's meant for you to consider eternity and God and Christ and the gospel Everything that, you, that has come your way, all of the trouble that's come your way, was sent with love from the Lord to get your attention. He caused you to call upon the name of the Lord that you might be saved. Have you ever noticed that in most cases when a person's dying, they'll be truthful, they're willing to listen, and perhaps are open to the gospel. Brother Bob Castle, who's here today with his wife Julie, he told us about witnessing to a wreck victim. A man was in his terrible wreck. Bob ran up to him and began to witness to him, and then he realized something. The man was dying, number one. Number two, he was a deaf mute. He was a deaf mute, right, Bob? And Bob witnessed to him and said, if you understand me, blink your eyes and so on. And he's spoke slowly, and he told him the gospel. He gave him the word of God. And perhaps that man, that deaf mute, maybe he believed the gospel. Maybe he was saved. What else does the Lord was with Joseph mean? It means this. And this, you must turn back to Genesis 39 for this. I'm going to conclude. Genesis 39. I'm going to conclude here. It means this. Number one. Verse 21, it means the Lord showed him mercy. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him 
mercy gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, showed him mercy. That happens to be in the imperfect mood. And what that means is, it means he's been showing mercy. Even when he was in all those troubles, he's been showing mercy. He's showing him mercy now, and he's going to show him mercy in the future. That's what it means. It means the action has not been perfected. It's going to continue. He's going to continue to show mercy. Then it says he stretched out his hand. It, 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 literally, it says he showed him mercy, which means he stretched out his hand of completely undeserved kindness and generosity to Joseph. God did that. Very much akin to our understanding of grace. The word is hesed, which is generally translated loving kindness. How else did he show him mercy? Well, he prevented Potiphar from putting him to death. You see, Potiphar, when his wife told him, this man tried to rape me, (laughs) Potiphar could have had him executed. But the Lord prevented it because he restrained Potiphar at least for a while, and he put him in prison. Listen to this passage, Psalm 76, verse 10. This is a wonderful passage. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, and the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. What does that mean? You see it up there on the board? It means God will use the wrath of men insofar as it serves his purpose, and where it doesn't serve his purpose, he'll restrain it. Case in point, did he use Judas in the death of his son? Did he use the devil to inspire Judas in the death of his son? Did he use the Jews who said, his blood be on us and our children, crucify him? Did he use the Roman government? He used all of these wicked people insofar as it served his purpose in putting up his son on the cross so we'd have a savior. And where that wrath didn't serve his purpose, he restrains it. That's that's a miraculous thing. That's a marvelous thing. He restrains it. The wrath of man shall praise thee, and the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. You see, Joseph must live. Joseph must be imprisoned at this time. He's right on time. God's train pulls right into the depot, depot on time. Right on time. Joseph, just as the Lord Jesus Christ, the birth of Christ was not an accident at that time in history. The Bible says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. He sent him at exactly a specific time for a specific purpose. The birth of our Savior, the life of our Savior, and the death of our Savior, all of these things were orchestrated, and they were orchestrated in the life of Joseph. Like Jesus, Joseph was numbered with the transgressors. Joseph was not the prisoner of Potiphar. He was not the prisoner of Pharaoh. He was the prisoner of the Lord. And that's what Paul said when he was in prison. He said, I'm not in prison because I'm the prisoner of Rome. He said, I'm the Lord's prisoner. 
and the Lord can get me out of here anytime he wants to. And if he doesn't get me out here, then he doesn't want to get me out. Listen to what Paul says. I would have you to understand, brethren, that the things that happened to me have fallen out, rather, unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. In other words, he met all kind of important people, and he witnessed to them. He told them about the gospel, which he couldn't have done if he hadn't been put in prison. Joseph, it says in verse 20, was put in a certain prison. A certain prison, verse 20. The master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. This was not a common jail. This was the king's prison, a place which held state criminals. The Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord gave him favor, verse 21. He gave him acceptance in the sight of the warden, the keeper of the prison. And it was the Lord who caused the warden to see Joseph differently. So he advanced him. Verse 22, the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were there in the prison, and whatever they did there, he was the doer of it. <laughs> he becomes, as it were, in charge of all the prisoners. He was advanced because the Lord was with him. And then it says in verse 23, and the Lord prospered Joseph. Everything he did was exactly right. <laughs> it was good. Joseph believes God and he lives by what he's been promised him. And when we believe God, listen now, when we believe God, the Lord God is pleased. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. What is that to say that the way to please him is through faith, is to believe him, believe, him, believe his word, believe his written word. Trust him. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Okay? Now, the Lord dwells with every believer. Everyone who believes him, the Lord dwells with them. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord showed mercy to Joseph. The Lord made Joseph to prosper. And the Lord made the jailer pleased with him. And I studied the language in these passages, and this language comes from the picture of a mother nursing her child. So the Lord made the jailer take care of Joseph as a mother would take care of her second child. <laughs> Everything he wants, he gets, <laughs> because the Lord was with him. When the Lord is with someone, they won't forsake him because he will not forsake them. If it were not for him, surely many of us would have forsaken him. But he said, I will not forsake you. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the waters of woe will not thee overflow. For I will be with thee thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. Fear not, I am with thee. 
Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will still give thee aid. I will strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my sovereign omnipotent hand. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That foe, that soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never, no, never, no, never forsake. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus hath fled. This is the key right here. Get in the word of God. Get in the word of God. Hear the word of God. Find a place where it's taught. Stay in it. Learn it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Get it in you. Joseph existed as he did and was able to do all that he did because he believed the word that God had given him when he was 17 years old. May the Lord add his blessings to the teaching of his word. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. The only word I could say to those of you who are outside of Christ is very clear in the Scripture. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. If you believe on Him, you'll want to meet with His people. We know that we've passed from death into life because we love the brethren. If you believe on Him, you believe the record that God has given. This is a record that God has given unto us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son of God hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you're in the Son, you have life, but if you're not in the Son, the wrath of God abides upon you. John chapter 3, verse 36. Flee to Christ. Run to Christ. It's like a, you know, we hear a lot of things today about medias and all of that. Well, there's a big media coming here. It's going to destroy this world, but it's going to be the the fist of God. It's going to be the hand of God. It's going to destroy this world. In the book of Hebrews, we're told that God's going to do a shaking. And he's going to do a shaking so that anything that can't be shaken will be manifest. And we can't be shaken if we're in Christ. But if we're out of Christ, we're going to be shaken. May the Lord help you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that you might be saved. Okay. All right, we're going to sing a little a little hymn here under the blood of Jesus. And I then I'll pray and then we'd like to ask you to come over and eat with us. Under the blood of Jesus. Safe in the shepherd's Under the blood of Jesus, safe while the ages roll. Safe though the world may crumble. Safe though the stars grow dim. 
under the blood of Jesus, I am secure in Him. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of Jesus Christ, asking you to bless your word, the feeble effort that has been made today. The power is not in the sower, but in the seed. I have no power with men over their wills or over their hearts, but you do. And I'm asking you, O oh Father, to have mercy in this generation where men are religious but have no substance. When they talk about going to church, but they don't know why, and they don't hear anything when they get there. Deliver us, Father, from this emptiness. Deliver us from these devices that come from the wicked one that destroy the souls of men. Oh, I pray that you'll send an awakening from heaven that will shake this world, that men and women and boys and girls might seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Father, I thank you for the salvation that we have in Christ. I pray that you will bring many into the fold and uh, before they leave or before this world ends. We don't know the timetable. It's all in your hands, but we're going to trust you by your grace come what may. Now I ask you to bless our fellowship. Thank you for all of those who've brought food and drink and desserts. How wonderful it is to have all of these needs met. While many people in the world go without, we have a fatness and an abundance of things. Cause us to be appreciative and grateful to you. For every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above with whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. Bless our bodies with the food that we're going to partake of and bless our fellowship. We ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen. Now, would you be seated for just one moment? I don't know if we need to make those announcements or not. Do we? Do we need to